G'day and welcome to a Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs and a CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and, and of course, CFRC Podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I'd like to introduce you to Annalise Varellen, who is doing an MA in Art History under the supervision of Dr. Stephanie Dickey. Welcome to Grad Chat, Annalise. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'm always excited, as you know, but I want to find a bit of, ask you a little bit about your background, yes. Annalise. Yeah. Um, first of all, I got to meet you first time during the recent three-minute thesis competition. Yeah. And, of course, you were the People's Choice yes. winner, which is very <laughs> exciting. So congrats yeah. on that. Thank you. How did you feel about presenting your research in this style? Because three minutes is not a long time no. when you think about how long your thesis is. Yes, absolutely. I thought it was a great opportunity to really boil down your research to the most important points and really present it to a non-expert audience, which I think is really important because you want your research to be accessible and that everyone can understand it and find some point of interest in it. So. It was definitely daunting because there were a lot of scientists out there and not that many people in humanities, but it was amazing to be able to join them and show my, my pride for my research. So it was an amazing opportunity, yeah. And I think that's an interesting point you make there. A lot of people think it's easier for STEM disciplines, for instance, mm -hmm. to present in yes. this style. Actually, I, yeah. I actually think it's harder for them <laughs> because they have too many sort of yeah. very specific words and terminology. Yes. Whereas, yeah. I mean, maybe it's because I'm a history buff anyway, <laughs> I find listening to things like art history yes. or history or... Yeah. English mm -hmm. much 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 easier yeah it's more like storytelling I find in humanities whereas STEM is often very yeah very this is the problem this is what we're going yeah, to do very very <laughs> mathematical almost mm -hmm. in that way but I feel like humanities like that's the beauty of it you like it's it's storytelling really so and I like that. I should use that more in our workshops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. There you go. But, but also what I have liked that often there are some departments that run their own little event yeah. beforehand yes. and art history department was one of those yes. was that handy mm. to have that beforehand coming into the queen's absolutely event? absolutely um it was a great opportunity to kind of do it in front of the professors too um, I did go over time in the, the pre-round <laughs> so that was kind of a reality check for me to really boil it down even more but I found it even more nerve-wracking in a way because it's in front of an audience that you know. Yes. Whereas the three-minute thesis, it's really people you're not very familiar with, which is actually kind of, yeah, more like less nerve-wracking, I'd say. So. Because then, I think when it's with people who aren't in the field, yes. you don't have that. Was that imposter syndrome? Exactly. Because they wouldn't know exactly. any difference no, other than no. you know, like you say, you, you tell a good story. Exactly. It's convincing. Yeah. yeah. And you want it to be. Truthful, exactly. But, absolutely, uh, yes. But it's definitely more nerve-wracking in front of all of your supervisors and your professors. But I always think it interesting because <laughs> sometimes too, with the three-minute thesis, some professors are a bit iffy about the 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 style of oh, it. Yeah, um, yeah. Because they think we're not really giving enough about the the research. Oh. But 
I've always said, no, that's yeah, not true. No, 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 we have to talk to different people and, exactly. and learn how to talk. So, yeah. yes, what they want is a sort of conference style. Right. That's very different to talking to the general public. Yes, and that's also a very good exercise in itself, but I feel like it's so important that when you're doing research to really make sure that you can reach a broader audience because otherwise I'm... I've, what's the point yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you're only talking to people who are experts in the field like it's it, I find it more meaningful to really reach a wider audience so what do your mom and dad think of it they do well, they do they listen to it <laughs> they are um economists by education oh, really? <laughs> so very different but they um are very artistic and they they love art so that helps yes that helps my brother is a photographer so we've gone the completely opposite direction but <laughs> yeah they're they're very supportive and they really love it too so oh, it's, it's really nice to have that's that support. good yeah that's good yeah okay so there is one actually other question i wanted yeah, to ask you about doing the event because yeah. when you did art history it was my understanding that when you were put, then put into the Queen's event, mm -hmm. you didn't realise you weren't allowed to have notes and props and things. Yeah, our graduate chair, <laughs> Professor D'Elia, was nice enough to leave out that information. <laughs> so when they selected the students to go on to the, the university-wide competition, she was like, yeah, you'll be in touch to like when, when the event will run. Also, you can have your notes. <laughs> and all of our faces just dropped. Um, but... It's, it's an amazing exercise to really get confident in your presentation skills. And it's also it, it, writing your research is different than talking about it, mm -hmm. I feel like. So you have to, it's almost a performance, I feel like. So it, it has to be more engaging in a way. And you can't talk about your sentences as you write them. Like right. they have to be less academic, I find. Yes. So I think it's a great, a great exercise to really. <laughs> I, I, I cracked up laughing when yeah. I heard that. Yeah. I thought, oh my goodness, that's hilarious. Yes. Um, yeah. And as I say sometimes in the workshops, you know, you want to get to a point where you can talk about your work at, at any stage. Because exactly. you can't say to someone, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. Um, let me just get let my me, notes out. <laughs> let me get my presentation out. Work. Yeah. Because yeah. no. that's, you know, hopefully you're not carrying it around all yeah. the time. With <laughs> That'd be you. weird. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I thought that was awesome. Yeah. So let's, let's get on with it then. Yeah. So you're in art history. Yes. And your research topic is women's self-portraiture. Oh, I can never say that word. Portraiture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the 17th century with yes. a focus on Dutch and Flemish, Flemish yeah. art. Yeah, yeah. So can you give me a bit of an overview of what that actually means? And then mm -hmm. we'll get into some more of these specific yeah. questions. Absolutely. Well, I'm researching how women represented themselves in their own art mm -hmm. because I feel like a lot of the 17th century art um, that involves women are depictions of women um, right. painted by men and I thought it was really interesting to kind of see how women themselves would represent themselves if they got the opportunity to so kind of flipping that lens as to see who portrays uh, I, who yeah I love that part <laughs> I really do yeah so is that the main reason you wanted to do uh, study mm -hmm. women artists from that particular period of time mm -hmm. and why and why self-portraiture well, I found that... Because um, it would be easy just to do a, a, a landscape or something. Exactly, exactly. Well, it's it's interesting because I find that a, a lot of the art that we study is um, women as, like, passive um, pl uh, players in that just process. Just lying on the couch. Just lying on the couch with or without clothing. And I thought it was really important to kind of understand that women did paint and did make art themselves. Right. And recognize that they could use their art as a way to market themselves and really compete with male artists. And I thought it was just interesting to study how they approach that process of how do I want to portray myself? How do I want people to see me? What do I want to emphasize? Um, how do I want to really yeah, promote my artistry and my name? Um, 
<clears throat> Did you find from that period, if they weren't sort of painting themselves kind of thing, mm-hmm. were a lot of the female artists in that period of time painting under a different name That's or not? That's an interesting question. It's, it's difficult because a lot of their art wasn't signed. Oh. Not a lot of artists signed okay. their work, so it's really hard to kind of determine who made what. Um, there's this one artist, Judith Lesse, who I study too, and a lot of her art for a very long time was attributed to her teacher because right. it wasn't signed and she painted in a very similar style as her teacher. So up until like the early 20th century, it was assumed that it was all made by the teacher and not by her until they really do um, a more thorough analysis of her work and really were able to assign um, her style, the pigments that she used to her name. So it's only very recently that we've come to kind of understand their process of art making in that unlike male artists they wouldn't really sign their work as often right. so it's it's hard to kind of trace back who made what and that's also why there's not a lot of art ah. that we can confidently attribute to women which is difficult but I think it's even more important than that the work that we are confident of that it's made by women that we really highlight that and, and mm-hmm. examine that yes because it reminds me of the, you know the mm-hmm. authors back in the old days yeah where they were writing under a different name oh because yes they were yeah. never getting published as being a woman exactly so yes. they had to pretend they were a bloke yeah exactly <laughs> that's an interesting angle though but I think yeah a lot a lot of women wouldn't just sign their work they were also really involved in different kind of art making more what we call today decorative arts, like glass engraving, embroidery, oh, okay. which were considered back then even female. as like female like hobbies. Um, whereas like if you look at it today, it's, it is a, a form of art, um, what they would make. I think you've, you've said a, an interesting word, hobbies. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. So in this period, in yeah. the 17th century, mm-hmm. women only had hobbies. It couldn't yeah. be a career. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's... I find the more and more I research it, that's a misconception today. I oh, feel okay. Because like, right. when you look at the women artists that we do know today, a lot of them were able to support their family and their husbands with their art making. So that's okay. kind of a myth that we have carried on until today, that women were like assumed to like paint in their free time, which for a lot of women was true, but there are a lot of examples of women being able to make a lot of money and acquire patrons in like the nobility and royalty. For example, Michelina Boutier was able to paint for the Archduke of the right. Netherlands, which is a, 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 a really important art collector and painter. So it's, it's kind of an interesting myth that I would like to help debunk, debunk for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so why, why this why the focus on Dutch and Flemish art? Mm-hmm. I mean, is it your background, or yes. you just think that's just, just an awesome period and there's some <laughs> great artists that came out from mm-hmm. those two areas? Both, for sure. I'm definitely biased. I am <laughs> Belgian, so it's it's definitely a sense of home and nostalgia that I kind of find in doing this research. It's wonderful that I'm able here to access texts from that time that were mm-hmm. in Dutch, and I can just read them and analyze them. So it's definitely a connection to home, for sure. It's it's a very comforting thing. But what got you that fascination, other than the fact it's from your mm-hmm. homeland, so to yes. speak? I mean, why that yeah. fascination? Did you were you interested in art history going through high school? Yeah, I believe so. I, I absolutely. I was also always very interested in stories, and I find the 17th century such an important and very pivotal moment in our Western history because you had all these different religious factions that really dictated right. different kind of lifestyles and morality and gender ideals that differed very much from region to region. And 
I just think it's a very interesting period because it saw so many different rulers mm-hmm. and yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because, like I said, I'm a, I'm a history buff anyway. Yes. Yeah. But I guess my background is more on the English side of things, yeah. having been born in England. And yeah. anything to do with history, I'm fascinated yeah. by. But if it have have that connection, yeah, even more important. Mm-hmm. So that's totally understandable. <laughs> but I remember you were talking about in your. Um, three-minute thesis mm-hmm. presentation this word pictura yeah tell me what that is or tell yeah. the audience what that is absolutely. and why that fascination with the word pictura in pictura. your research absolutely so pictura is the allegory of painting so in the 17th century and the 16th century they used a lot of personifications to explain abstract concepts for human emotions for human flaws for practices like painting poetry they would to kind of describe that art form or that emotion they would really transform it into a person and I thought it was really interesting that the allegory of painting was a woman a lot of allegories use uh, women's bodies to be um, explained which is also really interesting in itself because that kind of stems from that idea that women were considered to be passive and that you could project meaning onto them so that's why a lot of the allegories and personifications are in the form of women but I thought it was especially interesting that even because painting was considered to be a very male um, practice especially in a professional sense that if they talk about the art of painting they describe a woman right so even though it was considered such a, a masculine and reserved for men kind of practice when they talk about it it's a woman so I thought that was so interesting so when you say that when they talk about it it's yeah. a woman are they, yeah. are they talking in terms of what forms they can put on a canvas mm. or are they talking about emotions that mm-hmm. they can e- more easier to portray a woman's emotion on canvas yeah so what do you mean by that so we have a lot of um uh, books that were written on the art of painting. So we have Karel van Mander, we have um, Cornelis de Bie. They wrote kind of um, encyclopedias of painting and they would um, describe a lot of biographies of the artists that were active in that time. Okay. And a lot of the in-between stuff is about painting. And it's very in a poetic form. They they admire the art of painting because she's so beautiful. And in that time, it was also considered that right. art has to be beautiful. It's like the very pre-modern idea that art can just be whatever. It has to be in that time very naturalistic and recognizable. And if a painter is able to capture female beauty that accurately, he's considered to be a very successful painter. So it is intrinsically connected to beauty and women portraying beauty. And that if a painter is able to capture that on a canvas, he's considered to be really successful. Totally get all that. Yeah using us no <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah kind of. but when you 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 talked about with the female painters of that time yeah if they painted in that way it wasn't yeah. taken as seriously mm-hmm. um and, and if they were doing pictures of themselves yeah like we have other people taking men doing pictures of themselves mm-hmm it wasn't seen in the same vein. Mm-hmm. So they had to change how they looked yes. in the picture, such yeah. as they're painting, they're showing themselves as artists yes. as opposed to yeah. just a picture of their body. Absolutely. So yeah. tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, of course. I um, I studied the pictorial history of women looking at themselves because I got really interested in 
um, the process of a woman thinking about herself and how she would portray herself to the word in her art. And I came across a lot of series of prints in which women were looking in a mirror, but it was always considered to be something like a moralizing message that if you are too concerned and consumed by your appearance, mm. by your vanity, it's, it's considered a very sinful aspect of humanity. But it was always used with a woman doing that, which I thought was really interesting. Yes. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I thought that was really interesting that there's all these like prejudices and biases against women looking at themselves. So... And, and women we know at that time were very aware of that stereotype. We have a self-portrait by a, a woman artist named Anna Maria van Schurman, and she engraves this beautiful self-portrait of herself. And in the little subscript, she says that no beauty or vanity prompted me to make this painting, but... So it's really poignant that she's already yes. kind of justifying her self-portrait, that she's kind of... Well, that's amazing. Yeah, getting ahead of all those prejudices that mm -hmm. she's... Um, Putting it out there. I know yeah, what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. It's not because I'm vain, but it's yeah. because I want to... Because she used that image to kind of introduce her book, because she wrote about pursuing education for women. So it was very, right. very groundbreaking work that she wrote, but still... Even to introduce those really progressive she ideas, she had to put that in there because people wouldn't take her seriously. It's like this she... little caveat type exactly. thing. Exactly. Like, well, just, 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 just to, to make sure. Yes. So we know that women were very aware of those stereotypes. So that got me really interested in how did they grapple with those prejudices, mm -hmm. even if they wanted to still compete with male artists and portray themselves and show themselves off in a way and, that's and not... And still make a living from it. Exactly, and still being able to attract patrons and, and make a great amount of money without inviting those accusations and without having their character being tarnished by accusations of, oh, she's vain, she paints herself. So I For find those it of interesting. you on the line, I am <laughs> laughing here, but <laughs> yeah, I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I did that a lot too, reading all those texts. But so, so give us some other examples, because yes. I think you mentioned one as you know showing you as an art, yes. the, the the painter as the artist yes. painting themselves. Yes, the, the, this is a profession. This yeah. is a, a profession that people can see. Absolutely, yes. Um, but it's interesting in their self-portrait. It's very constructed. They often portray themselves in their self-portraits in their best dress, oh. the most expensive <laughs> the garments. To, the best way to paint. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so from that uh, piece of evidence, we can really assume that this was a highly constructed image because, yeah, you wouldn't wear your most beautiful silks when you're working with pigments and oils. So right. it's, and they're wearing like these beautiful lace collars and Judith Lester self-portrait, she wears this huge collar, which is just physically very impractical <laughs> to work. So it's very obvious that they wanted to portray themselves, yeah, in their, their, their best dress. So, which is a bit of a contradiction really, isn't it? Yeah. Because, yep. I mean, on one hand, if they just paint themselves looking into a mirror, yep. it's the vanity side, but mm -hmm. there's still a point of that. Because to, to me, if they're painting themselves to get themselves known, yep. etc., yep. you think they'd want to paint them, paint themselves in a way that shows, I am an artist. Yes, yeah. Am I female? Absolutely. Yep. But I yep. am an artist, true yes. and true. Yeah. So to show that they're an artist but mm -hmm. dressed up in not mm -hmm. art gear yeah what you would what a normal painter would be having yeah. on, perhaps with an apron yeah. and, and paint splotches all over yeah them. it's kind of a bit of a contradiction isn't it absolutely yes i think that is because they're really making a statement about their own confidence in their artistry because at that time the status of an artist had really been promoted from like craftsman to a genius 
So the, the social status of artists really changed in that period too, whereas you have the male artists of that time, you have uh, Rembrandt and Peter Paul Rubens, and they really depict themselves in their self-portraits, not really as artists, but as like nob- noblemen. Noble. Mm-hmm. So to kind of make that statement of confidence that they don't, that you might think of an artist in a certain way, but I think that's women's way of kind of embedding themselves in that tradition of I'm very successful and I'm aligning myself in that tradition of men depicting themselves as basically royalty Royalty. Mm -hmm. um, to kind of um, show that they know that tradition that as an artist you can be considered an almost noble and not just a craftsman. Even though the men don't have to have the easel in front of them. No, no, no. Just their face is fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They don't need to justify anything. I know. I find the double standard of that time so fascinating because even though women were able to make so much money, still they had to really figure out a way for them to be socially accepted and socially, um, that it's socially acceptable that they go out, make paint, like make paintings on the open market, attract patrons, but in a very different way that men could. Like they didn't have to think about all those things of how will my self-portrait be perceived because in no, like no text is a male artist accused of being vain. Right. Like Rembrandt made more than 70 self-portraits and no one is accusing himself of being vain or um, is pr- like portraying this sinful behavior as mm-hmm. women would be inviting those accusations directly because all of the, because of all those stereotypes and satirical prints that were made of them by men so so where so where did the women learn this because mm-hmm. i doubt in the teaching in the classes where they're learning mm-hmm. how to paint that mm-hmm. the the teacher is more often than not i would have thought yeah. a man yeah. would be saying well as a woman you're going to need to be able to do this yeah. this and that so where yes. did they learn that mm-hmm. or is it just they picked it up along the way i believe they would would have picked it up along the way i think it was very much ingrained in the teaching at that time even in secular and religious traditions um, I think it was very much ingrained in the the sort of social concepts of looking at yourselves. There's also a lot of books of morality that were published in that time because it was really okay. important to be a very a moral person and really dedicate yourself to knowing what is expected of you in a both secular and religious kind of construct. So right. I think women were very aware like they didn't have to go out and learn about these things I think it was very much socially sadly ingrained Ingrained. that 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 was their environment they had to adapt to nothing's really changed no exactly (laughs) (laughs) I love my research but at the same time it's like we haven't come that far it it really does it really does so yeah I find it fascinating how still today on social media I feel like maybe young women and and girls have to really be more careful about what they post whereas that's not really taught to boys I guess still so not in the same way not in the same way they don't have to think about the same things when they post a picture of themselves so I think it's very much still ingrained that mm-hmm. there's that double standard because even a woman might have thick skin absolutely it's still it's still people will judge and think those things and more. yeah if yeah I feel like, I don't yeah I find it really interesting so what do you want to do with this research yeah. I mean what, what's the end goal I mean you've you've looked at this particular period of time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what did you want to f- show to people with yeah. the research that you're doing mm-hmm. that's a really good question as a scholar I really want to contribute to the studies of women artists in the 17th century because I feel like for a very long time all the men have gotten the attention 
And I found that in my own education, sometimes I was wondering more about what about the women? Like, were there no women artists because I'm not being taught about them? So there was this hunger in me that I wanted to know more about the women at that time. So I really want to, and especially for self-portraiture, because it's so personal. They are really the creators of their image that they're being shown so I find it it's just really important to kind of balance that scale like Rembrandt Rubens Vermeer have gotten so much attention over the the years and I find it's just really important to know just paint a fuller picture of history I think Mm -hmm. even though there weren't as many women artists who reached the same levels of success it's also kind of how scholars have chosen to study Um, if you just choose to focus on one artist for decennia alone, yeah, of course they will be more popular, but I feel like I hope to help kind of skew the conversation towards art production by women in that time because I feel like, yeah, the male artists have gotten a lot of attention where I feel like we're kind of leaving the women well, in the shadows. Like we've got a couple of Rem- Rembrandt, Rembrandts hanging around here on yeah, campus, which close. is really, really nice. It's but amazing. it would be nice to have next door to that is exactly. some of these female absolutely, artists as well. Absolutely, because a lot of them really were able to reach that same skill and talent. It's not because they weren't as good. Like Michelina Waltier, you did last year, had such a beautiful style and talent that I, I just, I'm, my mind is boggled why we're not putting them more in the spotlight. Well, maybe with you being there I and working so. more on it. So is this the kind of thing you wanted to go into more in depth when you do go to do your PhD? And yes. Yes, I know you're moving to McGill, but it's a great university too. Yeah. So, <laughs> But, um, you know, we've, we've got lots from you already. Yeah. But is this the kind of thing that you want to continue moving on? Absolutely. Like add to what you've been doing here? Absolutely. I want to study the art that was produced by women, but I also want to study art patronage by women because a lot of princesses okay. and archduchess archduchesses were very important in the production of art in the 17th century especially in the low countries right. they contributed so so many new artists and they were also really able to launch a lot of artists into a next level of their career because of their art patronage so i think in general um, i really want to focus on um women and their role in the art market as consumers, producers, patrons, just what they contributed to the flourishing art market of the 17th century. Sounds like a, an, a really interesting period of time. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so. fully committed behind I really it. am, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, yeah. Which, which is fantastic. I mean, mm. if you don't love it, you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, exactly, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's good that you do, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah. So th- there was one other thing I'd, I'd like to bring forward to you I mean, and yeah. I think this all is encompassing everything that you've been telling us so far and, mm-hmm. and clearly your passion for this sort of period of mm-hmm. time in, in art history yeah is you have during the pandemic you yeah. did your own podcast I did. called the salon yes perfect yes perfect <laughs> title for that mm-hmm. and um what I found fascinating, and I, I will admit I haven't listened to a full episode, mm-hmm. I've sort of look, listened to a little bit just yeah. to get a, the gist of it before this yeah. interview today. Mm-hmm. But first of all, you've done it in both English and Flemish. Yes. So that yep. takes a bit of time. Yes, yeah, it did. Which <laughs> wouldn't be too easy no. to do, particularly to make it sound very natural. Yeah. And I, didn't, I didn't listen to the Flemish, I right. listened to the English. Um. But what I found w- w- was interesting, even from the first one, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you talked about this fascination about the Pictoria, which, yeah. which we, we uh, talked a little bit along the Dutch and Flemish art. Mm-hmm. But you also added some images in the um, description 
yeah. before you clicked on to the actual recording yeah. so people could actually see what you were talking yes, about, which exactly. I, I found that really, really good because yeah. you could follow along with what you're trying to yeah. to say because sometimes you, you hear about all this stuff and, yeah, okay, well, what did it look like? Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm on radio. How do I see that? Exactly, yes. Uh, whereas with this, you're giving the people sort of like their own little education session yeah, yeah. on this. Uh, was that your intention from the get-go to add bits and pieces that people could look up and, mm-hmm. and while they're listening to you explain, do some explanation? Absolutely. I think I when you make a podcast I think it's really important to be like the sound has to be engaging but you also Mm -hmm. want to be able to follow the story that I'm telling or the history that I'm kind of trying to get out there and in art history it's visual history is so important in understanding it so I thought it was really important to kind of leave that space for people to be able to google it or quickly look it up or really make them excited to want to see that painting and not just hear about it and kind of forget about it and really make them excited to kind of look it up and compare and really form their own thoughts about it. So when you were doing these podcasts, yeah. did you have a rough script that you went by or you mm-hmm. just went with the flow? Um, depending on what came into your head <laughs> I wrote scripts you yes did? because I even though I, I re- it was in the the height of the pandemic and I was really excited to make this I was in I locked myself up in my closet to make sure like the audio sounded good with all the <laughs> <laughs> reverberations so I wanted it to be really good so I yeah I made scripts it was really fun because it was a good exercise for me to practice my written Dutch too because even though it's my first right. language I don't get to write it very often right. so that was really interesting I had to show it to my parents too to make sure that the grammar was right because I just knew that my family <laughs> from Belgium would be like that's not proper Dutch <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure that that was okay but yeah once I started talking it's just it comes very naturally I find and I, I've grown up listening to a lot of history podcasts and if it's engaging and if it really follows as a story I think it's it's so much fun so I really wanted to kind of try well, you, making that you made a lot of episodes yes. which was great and there yeah. was one towards the end you had a couple towards the end that mm-hmm. were looking more on decolonizing yes art history yes what were you trying to do there what were you trying to sh- showcase well that was a really interesting project for me because I, I did it as part of a course that I took okay. um, last semester and it was really interesting to get out of my comfort zone and kind of look at the field of art history today and it, it really aligned with my own research as well because we're talking about kind of um, reimagining what we're being taught in art history and the fact that we're not being taught about a lot of women Women. it stems from somewhere right it stems from a lot of privileged white male professors that really dictated what was considered to be good art and what was considered to be worthy of teaching and I think in today's age we have to really kind of skew that perspective and really think outside the box a little bit more and give attention to artists that haven't been giving due attention and due academic scholarly attention so that was a, a an amazing way for me to kind of look at different universities and look at their their syllabi and kind of assess how women artists were taught if If at all (laughs) because often they're kind of taught as a footnote on the syllabus I had the the privilege of presenting a lecture on women artists in a course that I'm TAing this semester and it was an amazing experience and it was it was wonderful because a lot of students seemed really really engaged and asked a lot of questions and I just I just really want to make sure that art history especially in that time is kind of um, being taught in a fuller picture and yeah <laughs> which is perfect I yes. mean there's there's all that you know re-engaging of what education is and yeah. what, what gets taught and what doesn't what, exactly what's being 
missed. Yes, exactly. Uh, or blocked or, yeah. or, or forgotten. Absolutely. Uh, so it's great that you're looking at that because mm-hmm. I, I can imagine you know, going on to your PhD, you mm-hmm. seem like you're the right person to keep moving forward on, mm-hmm. on teaching, on yeah. learning, yeah. and imparting knowledge yeah. or ideas Absolutely. onto the next generation of yeah. students coming through. Yeah, I've, I've had the luxury of having amazing professors here at Queen's, and they really encouraged me to go on to teaching because I, I like there were lectures I remember where I could just get goosebumps because of the way they were so engaging and really telling a story and wanting I would go home and just research more because I just wanted to know more and yeah my supervisor and Professor Delia like their their way of presenting is just I, it feels like I'm going to a performance every week which is <laughs> such a delight and I, I really want to be able to get to that point where I can do that for students as well. Well, I think you're already starting to do that, even <laughs> just with this podcast, yeah, right? I hope because so. it is like a listening to a lecture series. Yeah. And, and here it is. I mean yeah. either a lecture series or walking along with your with your ear, yeah, earbuds in exactly. type thing. Yeah, I wanna make it very accessible and yeah, if people are interested, that it is easy for them to access and they can listen from anywhere. So I think that's you made a good point there in terms of accessible as well. I mean yeah. not everyone thinks art history. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. So this is a way of getting more people potentially thinking about well you know art history is actually quite fascinating yes absolutely Um, just listen to a little bit about it and next time you see a painting on the wall Mm -hmm. for instance I know it's not just all about painting it's art history Mm -hmm. but next time you see a piece of art yes maybe look at it in a different way as opposed to just glancing and go oh yeah I either like it or I don't exactly what went behind in the making of that piece of art exactly like you can focus on the technical aspects of the difficulty of acquiring pigments I did I was able to do a workshop uh, with the department a few weeks ago about on making paint right. from we we were giving a blue stone of azurite and then we had to grind it down and make it into a pigment and that alone for a little bit of paint took three hours right. so that to get gave that blue me, that you needed exactly so they gave me a whole new perspective and appreciation for the process of art making mm-hmm. if you see a, a huge mural or a huge canvas that the amount of time and dedication that took. came into that was just it's stunning that in itself is just art so and then it all come together and it be oh I love it yeah it's wonderful (laughs) (laughs) and then I always get fascinated going to our our conservation program and seeing the things that they do and how they sort of get it back to its original yeah I think yeah because I think it's so important for art historians and art conservators to work together because they're able to tell you kind of the technical history of a painting mm-hmm. we we study more the historical concepts and like focus on po- politics gender religion whereas they are really able to tell us how it was made and um, where the pigments came from and just the process of making it so yeah it, it's wonderful that those two worlds really converge and work together work together absolutely i know you're going to do fabulously thank you well if anyone is interested mm-hmm. go and look up the the salon yes um, yeah. podcast yeah. by annalise thank you and uh <laughs> i'm sure you'll really everyone will really really enjoy it and thank you. you know annalise best of luck with everything thank i know you so you're going to do wonderfully well mcgill is very lucky to have <laughs> you coming to them thank you i know you can give them lots um, <laughs> lots of I hope good so. work thank you so much so, best thank of you. luck with all of them thanks for 
coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or CFRC podcast. Just type in a Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.